0: Welcome to Two Humans Talking, the podcast where we discuss the challenges of staying healthy in today's modern, fast-paced world. I'm Tiffany Sims, your burnout recovery expert and holistic wellness coach. And today I am honored to be here with Margot Aerosmith, who is a psychotherapist who works with older patients as they are transitioning through the different challenges in their life as we age. And I am very excited to be chatting with you today and hear all of the wisdom you have to share. Margot. thank you for being here. And I would love for you to share with our listeners who you are, where you're from, what you do,
1: just things that make you you. Okay, uh, Margot Aerosmith. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have been doing this work for 40 years. Uh, I went back to college late in life, but yet I still have a 40 year career. I uh, I'm 75 years old, and and actually I'm 75 and a half is what I always tell people. I'll be I'll be 80, 76 soon. But anyway. Um, I'm not retired. One of the things that in your introduction or in you talking about what we were going to be doing, you know, that hit me is is that like the other day I'm like, you know, I could have retired 10 years ago. Why am I still here. We do help people a lot of what I do is help people with their transitions in life. However, that's not all I do and I want to clarify that Um, some of my what I'm going to, I'm going to describe one of my favorite. Patience to you. She, matter of fact, she's going to be 85 next month. I've been seeing her for two or three years. I think somewhere around in the beginning of COVID, we started seeing each other. She's had a wonderful life. She's raised three kids. She has grandchildren. She's, she's done ballroom dancing all around the country. She does these uh, ad hoc performances on the stage. However, she came to me at 82, um, because when she was a child, she had been sexually abused by her father and and she'd never worked that through. And what she said was, you know, I'm old enough now. I need to, I I don't want to carry this through my entire life. So where she and I are actually working on very early stuff, Uh, things that haven't stopped her from living a good life. And she's had a life most people would envy or many people would envy. Yet she had this in her. And I, matter of fact, now I think I have at least three, you know, uh, people who, who are, who are this, very similar. Um, you know, they've led decent lives, but there's, there's been this thing that's been holding them back. And, and so we're, we're not just working on transitioning into aging, although we're doing that, obviously. However, we're also working on still clearing that palette from, from, from way back when. It's never too late to start working on old traumas um, it's never too late and i and these women are so brave and so um, th- th- i just love working with them so i say, you know if i had retired 10 years ago i would never have been part you of this missed out on the movie i know um, I can't how imagine. beautiful
0: is that yeah yeah so well, i'm curious do you think so you mentioned that you were 75 and a half which means that you have experienced a lot of life
1: mm-hmm. a lot
0: of changes Mm-hmm. a lot of sociodynamic changes and what's acceptable and what's not oh, do, do you feel that And I and it's not a i know we don't want to segregate people into generations and i don't know how to ask this question without doing that a little bit do you think that the older generations, people who are in their seventies and eighties are just now getting to the point where they're processing that earlier life trauma compared to say someone in their thirties and forties, where it's so much more socially acceptable to identify your childhood traumas, to get through your triggers. And like, it feels so much more, even just for me, it feels so much more like right there that you have to have these childhood traumas that yeah, we're going to talk about them and unpack them even
1: compared to when I was 10 yeah yeah interesting is that a question. Pain, or am I making this up. No, 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 I think that I think actually it is uh, you know when, when you were first starting to talk, I was going to say, and I do want this known is is that. There you know, there are a lot of younger people who are going to touch anything with a 10 foot pole and there are a lot and 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 they're probably not going to do it when they're older um. However, yes, I mean, I mean the the uh, the Me Too, you know, movement. It's almost as you were saying. It's almost made it obligatory uh, these days. Um, now, none of the women that I'm working on this with have mentioned that that's why they're there, but I but I do think it's got something to do with it. Uh, I'm also now. I I grew up I grew up in Iowa. I forgot, and and I, but I spent a lot of years, and this is where I got my training in the Northeast, uh, in uh, metropolitan New Jersey, which is kind of like Manhattan, only, you know, a suburb of Manhattan, basically. And now I'm in North Carolina. And I think also a part of it is it, it's where you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when I was in New Jersey, I mean, and especially when I went into Manhattan to go to school, I went to Hunter College, which is I'm very proud of. But anyway, um it was almost like, what do you mean you haven't been in therapy? <laughs> what <do> you, Huh? <laughs> no, you know, not exactly. So some of it is, yes some of it is time frame some of it is also where you are and where you've been some of it is eth- ethnicity you know mm-hmm. there's certain ethnicities that that still are very uh you know you don't do that because we don't need that and there's something wrong with you if you do um so there's just so there's a lot of things that go
0: <laughs> i'm laughing at that because it just reminded me i saw a TikTok, an Instagram reel, or something, and it was this woman, and she happened to be black, and she was like, "White people, you've been gatekeeping therapy this whole time. I've been carrying this baggage <laughs> around my whole life, and you've just been letting it out to the world, and you no cares. Why didn't you tell us about therapy? I love. I was like, it was I a little bit a culture that. shock, though, because I didn't realize." That that was an ethnic problem where like certain communities and ethnicities maybe it wasn't a resource available to people or it was frowned upon in those certain
1: communities. I'll tell you, and in my my graduate school, and we were I was in New York City. Um, You know, we were very. uh, I'm trying to think. I think there was one guy who was black. So part of the problem with that also is is that there's not a lot of people they can go to. When, When and I have some African American people. I've had them. I have one now who's uh, she's working through childhood trauma, she was a parentified child and and she's she's very educated. Very, very accomplished she'd never heard the term parentified child, which basically means it's very often in alcoholic families it happens it's. it's you know when the kids are you know, like at 10 years old you're answering calls from the boss saying you know mom's sick or you're paying the bill you're doing all sorts of things. But she'd never heard the term before, but it affected her whole life. Yeah. And she's kind she's just starting to learn that she doesn't have to take care of everybody in her life. Um, but yes, it's, I love that. I would love to have seen that uh, video. And there's one of those like uncomfortable laughs because
0: like. It hits you right in the face and then you're like, and you chuckle. Cause it's funny, the way she was reacting about it. And then it's like the reality of what really was happening. You're like, oh my God. Yes. So it was like that double edged like funny yep. humor reality check and you're like,
1: oh I did well, it now. And, and one of the challenges that, that people like me have had since again there are so few African American therapists still are. Really? Um, oh yeah. In twenty twenty four?
0: Twenty twenty four. I don't know.
1: I know one, I think, now even. Well, Chris, I'm in well, North Carolina is really much less racist than New Jersey was, but that's another that's another issue for another day. But Um, So, so there's, you know, there's this line that you walk between, you know, I know something about your culture, I would like you to teach me your culture, however, I, I, so I know it's different for you, but I've never, I, it's, it's, it's got to be handled very sensitively, let's put it that way, Um, because, because things are different, Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up that way. I didn't grow up. I grew up with white privilege. I, I I haven't. I mind. I'll contact you when I get them. Two videos that I want to do teaching white people what white privilege is, um, without having. Love you. (laughs) Nice (laughs) to meet you. (laughs) Um, but anyway, uh, but so so you got, so so it's still kind of a problem, because when they come very often, not always well I take that back the woman in the office across from me is a very young African American woman she's the only one we have here. Um, but, but she sees some white people too. she sees black people and white people but but another boundary now what another problem with that now is is that it's often you know often they're going to be sitting in front of in front of somebody who. Who they have things that maybe they don't want to talk about with a white person i don't know so you really have to be i did not know
0: and this may be ignorant to me i did not know that i can't believe i'm gonna say that's a lot i really didn't know racism was still a problem in 2024 where people did not want to have conversations with or looked at people differently based off of the color of their skin and where they came from like that just breaks my brain a lot actually um because I was not something that would ever if you're qualified to be the person that I should be talking to, then, I, like,
1: thank you. Let's well, jump. you know, there are people, for instance, who prefer to have women over men or men over women. I mean, there, you know, we do like, you have to be careful that when I was first starting out doing clinical work, um, my first job, you know, doing clinical work with real patients real private clinical work was i got hired by this guy who had a practice it was called center for identity development he was this was the 1980s mid-80s and aids was first coming out but he um he was gay and so the and he had a partner who was a lesbian and she was leaving that's why he needed to hire me and um but i so i said to him when i was interviewing i'm like and he liked me and i liked him and i was all excited i am like but you know I'm straight is that going to be a problem because all of the clientele were gay all of them, I mean that was the whole point because back then they had no place to go because a lot of therapists thought they were that being gay was the problem. Um, So that's why the place existed, so I said, you know, will it be a problem and i'll never forget what he said, especially since again it was the 80s, a lot of people were still afraid to come out AIDS was a big thing which of course made it even harder to come out. And he said there are there are gay therapists who are so threatened by gay people who are struggling with whether or not they should come out, that they put too much of themselves into it. Mm. So he, said, he said, So actually, it might be a benefit that you're straight because you don't have a you know, you don't have a dog in the fight here, you know, you can you can be which was which I didn't. Um, and that can be true then also for whether it's be race or gender or all sorts of things.
0: That's really a great
1: point, actually, because.
0: in my brain just went like five different directions, and I'm like trying to like ADHD it back into a single point. Um, (laughs) One of the things that was floating through my head was how important it is to allow people who've lived different segments of life in history of time to share their experiences without quickly judging them for going, what just came out of your mouth? And that's something that I'm guilty of, because there are some things even in our conversation where I thought, did she really just say that? And then my brain went, Tiffany, she's sharing with you, Margo is sharing with you a different time in her life. When you were being born, you didn't experience the world back then. And it's okay, maybe it's not okay, that that's the way the world was but the world has evolved since then, but that doesn't mean we get to rewrite what actually happened to make the conversation more comfortable. And if we forget where we come from, it's very easy to go back to it. And if I take that thought and think about where we are right now and how much segregation is actually getting forced upon us, where people are only associating with people who are just like them and they're shunning people that don't agree with them and banning that, blocking them out of their lives, instead of coming together and saying, what can we learn from each other and celebrate our differences Mm -hmm. and have those really healthy conversations, we very well could get back to a place where it's not okay to be
1: whoever you are in your identity. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. there are two, The, the two office people, the people who made sure we got our money, <laughs> um, very important people in our office at one point. What, I, I'm trying to think, was it Floyd George or George Floyd? I can't remember, but you know who I'm talking about. Um, and we were—I mean, I loved them. I used to go in and talk to them all the time, and we—you know—we were very friendly. Um, but when that happened, and I—I I just felt, you know, right after it had happened, and and this, and, you know, you saw all the videos, these horrible videos. And I just felt like, you know, cause we'd never talked about that stuff ever. And and there was no reason really why we had to or should have. But I just felt like I, I had to do it. And 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 we didn't talk real deeply, but but just the idea and, but but we did talk. But just the idea that it was hard for these women who who I consider to be friends, but it was hard for me to go in and open up that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they would have opened it up to me at all, because they didn't really know where I was, how important it is to do that, but also how hard it is to do that. Um, But anyway,
0: (laughs) So we talked a little bit about like we've been talking about like the generational divides and how it is. Pushing the generations apart rather than letting them integrate a little bit. And I know in my life, we're not always, I'm not always open to hearing what my mom has to say Um, because it's like, ah, like you don't understand. That's not how the world works. And I probably am missing a lot of lessons by automatically putting my walls up. And so I'm curious, you shared that you were 75 and a half. What is that like on your... In your 75 years, did you have the same problems when you were in your 30s or you were pushing back? And like what have you learned in
1: that process that you wish we knew? Of course. I guess you know what the most important thing in all human relationships is boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh it's a word that's thrown around a lot these days. I'm not sure that people use it. I I identify boundaries as, you know, where I end and you start, we're the other way around. Um and, and, and my mother and I, I love my mother. She was a wonderful person in many ways. There were no boundaries. So basically, sadly, what happened was I just never talked to her. My brother was this magpie, would talk to her about everything. And I would and, and she'd always wanted a daughter who would talk to her. But but so often when I would start to say something, you know, she had no boundaries. So it would be. Bah. So I just stopped talking to her. Um, and it was such sadness for both of us. It really was. But um, to be able to hear what they're saying, know that number one, it's them and not you, and you're not them, and they don't have to be like you. And you can learn some things from them. You're not gonna agree with everything, no matter how smart they are, and they're not gonna do that for you. But, but just understanding the boundaries and how important, not boundaries, where, not walls, because that's not really, a, that's not that's a boundary, but it's not a healthy one healthy boundaries. Uh, so yes, I mean, I, I, had, I had a, it was very sad with my mother. When my, my mom did have dementia symptoms, and I, this is an example, by the way, of how it gets dis- misdiagnosed. When my mother was 75, she, she went to the doctor, she had no symptoms, no symptoms. She went for a annual checkup. Doctor said, oh, you have diabetes. Well, I mean, she might have had it. I'm not denying that she had it um but instead of you know you start with pills you start with diet you start with all this stuff he instantly put her on three insulin shots a day hmm. That does terrible things so by the time she's in her 80s she had a lot of internal bleeding and um she, and my dad my dad took all, total care of her but um She had all this internal bleeding one time one point they took her into the hospital and they did surgery on two of her organs, because there were organs that were bleeding and they fixed that but she had just bleeding all over her body. Um, And she was what people would do I I never say you have dementia, you have dementia symptoms, because there really is no such thing as dementia it's dementia symptoms, but anyway, she had dementia symptoms badly but every time they would take her into the hospital to give her a transfusion. She would come back. And she was almost as good as new. Hmm. For for days after that, you could talk to her like it was forty years ago. But yet, the doctor still insisted she had Alzheimer's. She didn't even have the symptoms of Alzheimer's, but they still insisted she had that.
0: What's the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's.
1: Well, uh, well, this is this is an explanation that I like. Is is dementia dementia symptoms, but dementia is where you forget where you put the spoons. Okay. Alzheimer's is where you forget what a spoon is. Okay. Okay, plus which, and it used to be you couldn't, well, it's changed a little bit because it used to be they couldn't really diagnose Alzheimer's till you were dead and they did an autopsy on your brain. Now there's way, now they can do it without, they can do it with blood tests. They don't even have to do an MRI. Um, But Alzheimer's also includes, it's like a plaque on your brain. And there's things that can be done with it, but and there's things that can be done to prevent it. So it's like brain tartar. Brain. Tar- thank you. That's a, that's that's good. I like that. <laughs> there's a book called Aging Gracefully, and it's, it does it talks about this thing called, they call it the Nun Study. And these people wanted to do a longitudinal study of the human brain, but in you know in even even back you know 50 years ago you know, in America that's a hard thing to do. People don't stay still. They don't you know they're whatever. <laughs> So they went to this convent because they figured you know number one these these women aren't going anywhere and number two they need the money, so they so they made a contract. Um, you know all of your nuns will do a, a, a test every year, a, you know talking test every year, and then, when you die we'll get to autopsy your brain. So the book starts out with there's this nun who's like 102 and she's doing her test and they're asking her all these questions and she passes it with flying colors line colors and um she, I mean she was 102 so you know a few months later she died and they did the autopsy and they found out she actually had Alzheimer's but these nuns lived their lives in a way and you have to read the book to get on it they lived their lives in a way that challenged their brains so much that while they did have, well and, and it's also here it's like you know it's like you know with, with spark plugs so it's like your brain is like this they're left in, and it's got to get together like this. And, and one of the things the plaque does is you know it splits it apart anyway, so she they had she had the plaque she had Alzheimer's. But her whole life she had been doing so much things that challenged her brain that new neurons had grown over it that's so cool. Isn't that cool? Now, cool, yeah. and, and, and there's things like a lot of these games that you can do, uh, uh, you know, help things like if you're right handed brushing your hair and your teeth with your left hand. Shall, I mean, it. And, and look, there's still people who probably would have the symptoms anyway, but those things help. So for
0: so if I have symptoms of dementia, and what and you were saying that a lot of times it's misdiagnosed or overdiagnosed and it's not the thing.
1: Like, well, first place, how it, do I know? And how do I like? First place, it? if you had if you had those symptoms, they they would they do a UTI test. They do for my this. brain. No, no, they'd see if you had a UTI. Okay. So again, remember, dementia symptoms are different from Alzheimer's. Okay. Okay. And Alzheimer's, you're not going to get too late in life first but everybody's worried about getting Alzheimer's people are more worried about getting Alzheimer's than they're worried about getting cancer. And if if you're in your 90s, the amount of people that get Alzheimer's in their 90s is like 10% in their 90s. But everybody's so afraid they're going to get Alzheimer's and they make all these life decisions they 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 give hundreds of thousands of dollars to a CCRC because because. There's a 10% chance that someday in their 90s and they might not even live to be 90. You know what I'm saying? My mom is one of these people yeah, But I'm starting who also to say- works in a nursing yes. home. So she yeah. sees she has a lot of patients who are <laughs> Your mother- mm-hmm. okay. Well, but I want to get back to though if, if you were to have symptoms of dementia and you were to go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. uh they would say oh well first they do a uti test or they and then they'd say well what kind of medication are you on is that interact they'd say all these things are you depressed they do all these things so what i tell people who are older if you or a loved one if a doctor tells you that you have dementia the first thing you say to that doctor is if i were 45 years old what else would you be looking for because i want you to look for those things now like with my mother you know, it, I, you know, if they, I mean, they would have had to give her a whole lot of, I mean, she, because of the, she, she eventually bled to death, but, um but, but and in her late eighties, by the way, but, um and I think it was because they, they started her out with, a, with, with that massive doses of insulin, which yeah. is terrible things to your body. But anyway, uh,
0: I really so. think that's a really great thing for maybe children of parents who might be entering those stages where they're yeah. getting that conversation yeah. about, you know, mom or dad, they are showing symptoms of dementia for them to speak up and say, if I was expressing these same symptoms, and what, problems, would they for?
1: what would you what do? Would for me? Exactly. Exactly. That's a good way. To, that's a good way to say it. Uh, I had a woman who came in here. She was in her eighties. She was 84 and she's you know, one of those women, she was 84, very slim and and looked great in gray hair. And she was just, you know, one of those, you know, some people really rock the gray, like, oh, my God, they're gorgeous. You know, I don't have gray hair. (laughs) That's another story. But anyway, um, so she's sitting on my couch, and she says, smile on her face, like she's all resigned to this. She says, I have dementia. And I'm like, Oh, really? Because most places you go to, (laughs) I gotta tell you, most doctors you go to where they would say oh you do and they'd start writing it, and they'd start treating you for that i said to her really prove it to me i want you to prove to me that you have dementia so she's thinking and she's thinking she's well you know the other day this is an example this happens a lot she says the other day i was um what is it i do have some memory lapses sometimes what is it when you're 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 soaking meat in a sauce before you cook it like basically Marinating. I, I was looking for a marinating pan and I couldn't find it. I'm like, oh, that's a, okay, maybe. I mean, maybe, because, you know, it happens. Well, as I questioned her more, it turned out that her entire life, her entire life, she had a very bad habit of not putting things back where they belonged. She couldn't find the marinating pan most of her life. But suddenly, now that she's 84, oh, I got dementia. And, and the problem there is, is that then either it, like, for instance, if you have a UTI, you're not getting treated for the UTI because they think you got dementia, um, which is that very makes
0: no logical sense to me. Yeah. yeah I'm also right. very curious how UTIs are linked to dementia. Well,
1: I, correlation. You know, it, it, it's a long story, but it gets it just it just it's, you know, it, it, it gets they get into your blood. The blood goes to the brain. It, it just affects things and, and it, it affects People so who
0: live with a permanent UTI. That sounds miserable.
1: Oh, I can imagine I Is can know what happens to older people who get who might have. But UTI? Nowadays, I will say this. Doctors are getting smarter about that. So they're more often likely to check for that. Okay. They, not all of them. So if they don't, you say, well, how come you're not checking me for a UTI? okay so wouldn't i know i had a uti not everybody has that much trouble with the uti or the, or oh. it's again but but, but again it was a lot of people do but that's a really good question i mean it's a great question again it, it, and what it shows is how powerful the prejudice towards assuming that whatever's wrong with you when you're old it's dementia as opposed to something else that's I, so about, there's a fascinating wonderful... but in a very sad way very sad. There's a wonderful, wonderful man who love him dearly in uh, Durham, North Carolina is a, a kind of a neighbor of mine, but he's a PhD pharmacist. And I always when I tell this story, I always say to people, you don't get a PhD in pharmacy if you think that medication is bad, right? However, his program that he runs is called Deprescribing. Mm. prescribing. Because, and, and he says a lot of people, certainly older people, are the problem is and this often causes dementia symptoms they're given too much medication the medication interacts his story how he got started is he was in pharmacy school and his grandma was he had a grandma and obviously if he was in pharmacy school she was old and um she she was living with his parents and and she had dementia and and then she started it was okay i mean she was troubled but it was okay she started to get belligerent i mean you and they and that can happen so they couldn't handle her anymore so they Sadly, put her in a nursing home. She's there for a little while. The nursing home calls up and says, Oh, she's too violent. We can't keep her here. You gotta come get her. So they went and got her and they took her home. Well, he's in pharmacy school, and you know you know how students are all <laughs> yeah. very curious. They're learning you know, lots and very he curious. He took her medication, he worked with her doctor, he got her off a lot of her medication. because he looked at how they were interacting with each other. Not only was she not no longer belligerent, she didn't have dementia. She did not have dementia. She went back to being like she had been. Hmm. This is one of the reasons, not the only reason, because I because he could give you thousands of stories why he is so such a crusader about this, because he experienced it with his own grandmother in his yeah. own. Family
0: you know when i was in college so i have a um bachelor's in biochemistry biology and, an, and a oh, studies I know a lot about this stuff and um and when i was in college i really thought that i wanted to become a biomedical engineer and work in pharmaceuticals and at the time i realized it, <laughs> this is so horrible but like at the time i was like <gasps> I understood how placebos work and I understood how meds worked and I understood how trials worked. And all of a sudden, I was like, I don't think I want to be responsible for killing someone's grandma. And so, and then I took like real physics, not Disney physics. And I realized that like that was not the world for me and I went a different direction. But now, looking back, I really thought that pharmaceuticals was like the saving grace for humanity. And I'm learning as I get older that there's a there is a line in the sand where it's helpful. And then we've gone too far. Like it's so it meds are such a great bridge to help us. Get from where we're struggling to where we're going to repair. But how many times heart? My, I have a, people in my life who are on heart medications and it's like you can't take grapefruits with this because it'll drop your blood pressure. So yeah. it right. And it's like grapefruit is nature's blood pressure lower and when you're on these medications that are helping regulate your blood pressure you can't eat real foods why are we not just i like i'm I'm so confused we're giving us we're giving medications that then we can't go use nature's medicine to help us regulate our own bodies, the way they were designed. And then we have to take additional medications to counter-effect that inside of that.
1: Because selling people grapefruit isn't all that profitable.
0: And I'm it's just bad. like, and then we get into our eighties and nineties, right? And
1: let me, you, I have a doctor and actually I'm getting another doctor because of other things, but, and she understands. I mean, I'm on no medications. So I'm like, I don't need, I mean, I, if I needed one, I'd take one, but you gotta convince me I need one. So a while back, my, my cholesterol has always been a little high. But by the way, what does that even mean? Because high cholesterol for one person might not be for another. We need cholesterol. So what does somebody, what does this even mean? But she said I did. But by high, so, it, so, so, so one day, I'm, and I only go there like every 15 months for my annual anyway, but she says to me, and she was operating on last year's um, blood test. So she says to me, well, your blood pressure, I mean, you're a, cholesterol is high. Uh, so we need to put you on a statin. Now I know that statins are, I mean, if you need one, if you really need it, fine, but they are horrible. They do terrible things to your body if you really need it. So I said, well, how come? She says, well, you know, this is where you, this is where your cholesterol is. I don't even remember the number because I don't pay attention to those numbers, but she said, so you have, a you have, a." uh, an eight and a half percent chance of having a heart attack or a stroke so i looked at her and i said so you mean to tell me that i have a 92 and a half percent chance of not having a heart attack or a stroke and because of that you want to put me on this vicious vicious medication that's what happens that is what happens and that's what i mean again for people who are where it's off the charts and they really are in danger Great, give them a statin because as bad as a statin is, you know, at some point it's like, it's either a statin or-, or Right. I had, I was like there. And frankly, I, 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 nope, nope, I'm not doing it.
0: I'm just really excited that there, I really, my future of what perfect health care services looks like, if I got to wave my magic wand, it's that we have learned to merge traditional Eastern medicine with Western medicine for this like holistic approach where we're really relying on the body and the earth to like, for our homeostasis. And we're using Western medicine when we have fractures and car accidents and when we need the extra
1: help. Yes. To, to well, let and them you know, like antibiotics. I mean, when they first started, I mean, people were dropping dead all over the place because that, because infections, guess, right. I mean, not everybody who got an infection did, obviously, because everybody would have been dead. But, but it was still, it was very bad. So they, st- so fine, they discovered. I think penicillin might have been the original one. I, but, but then they started passing penicillin out like it was candy, and then suddenly everybody's, you know, building a resistance to penicillin. So they, and now, you know, and now, you know, all of our digestive systems are ruined because we had so many antibiotics. Yeah. Um, so, but but I
0: I mean I I love Western medicine. I think it has a time and a place, but it yeah, shouldn't be so. the first. It shouldn't be the first thing every time.
1: Yeah. Mm. And so, even with me, I mean, yes, I mean, with with the you know eight percent chance of giving, and actually, it's Deon Canterbury, by the way, is the is the name of the pharmacist in Durham. If anybody wants to look him up, he's wonderful. But. Um, I was telling him that and he says well it's actually really because they kind of doctored a bit so it's actually really eight not eight. Because he already knew about this, but but again for all she knew that 8% was actually good for me she really didn't she wasn't looking at that, but she wanted me to go on this very, very, very bad medication, which should only be in dire circumstances, but again it's very profitable. It's so more-
0: if I. If I have an aging parent or say I'm someone who has lived a few more years, what are some questions I should be asking when I'm going to the doctor to make sure that I am being my own best advocate like what are you seeing in your practice that's helping people the most.
1: Well, you know, one of the things first place you you know, and and I know we're all really busy today and I know that that if you, just because you look up something on the internet doesn't mean you've got good advice because there's a lot of junk out there. So it makes it even harder. But we do have to we have to know what we can't just go to a doctor and say, you know, tell me what to do. You 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 know, you're you're you 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 know everything, tell me what to do. We can't. Um, we have to have doctors that will work with us. Um, you know, for instance, in that case, I mean, I just, you know, I was fine and I it was too low, but let, let's say 15% chance to have a doctor who, who's, who would say, well, you know, that still seems kind of not that high to go on a statin. What else can we do? Let's you and I, doctor, work together. So you want to know if you've got a doctor that's going to work with you. Mm. Um, Norm, do you know who Norman Cousins is? Mm-mm. Okay. He wrote a book, which you really should, you should read this book. It, it's a little tiny book, but it's called the anatomy of an illness in the I think it was in the 1980s, or it might even in 70s. He, he lived in Manhattan. And he uh, went to his doctor, he'd been sick. Turns out he had a very rare disease. And because it was very rare, they didn't know much about it, except that it killed people pretty quickly. And there was nothing they could do. And so the doctor said, Well, basically, what you can do is go home and, you know, write your will, and make sure everything's in order. But well, he didn't like that. So what he did, well, first thing he did, though, he went out and found a doctor who would work with him. Now, one of the things he did was to take massive doses of vitamin C. Now, we don't know that massive doses of vitamin C are really going to cure a disease, but he did it. But the other thing he did, and this is what he's known for, he decided, and he, by the way, it's since been tested that it's correct, that laughter, laughter, you know, and the old Reader's Digest, they had a column that said laughter is the best medicine. Often it really is. And this was, I mean, this was, they didn't even have, they, DVRs or, you know, weren't, you know, the little, they weren't even in anybody's dreams at that time. So he bought a projector, which big clunky projector, and he would go to to the New York Public Library where they had movies you could rent. And, and at that time, he'd get like a Marx Brothers movie, and, and you know, on these big reels, I mean, it would you know, 50 pounds of movie he's carrying back to his house. But he did this thing with himself where every day of his life he had to laugh at least an hour a day. And I think love about how much it was to do back then than it is today, because today, you know, all we have to do is, it's right there for us.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And he finally
1: died, I forget exactly when he died, but it was it was sometime in the 21st century
0: laughing an hour a day that's actually you have to
1: consciously put yourself in environments to and and and, and, and that, really they've actually done studies and tests that it, i mean you know they might not even believe in what you know what he's saying but they've done studies and tests that in fact yeah it really does well first place just having all those endorphins that they that mm-hmm. helps you <laughs> yeah but, so, but, but the po- reason I remembered him and brought him up is because one of the first things you want a doctor who will work with you and that's not easy to find I will say, but you want a doctor who say look. You know I, 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 this is what i'm willing to do, this is what i'm not willing to do, unless you can convince me that you know i'm going to something terrible is going to happen if I don't, but you don't want a doctor who's just like. You know, bring out the pad and you do what I say and it's hard to do these days, because of what has happened to medical practices they you know they get like. It used to be doctors, by the way, when I was a kid growing up, doctors made a whole lot more money comparatively than they do today. Okay, so this did not, but it used to be back in those days that it was illegal to have a for profit medical business. Hmm. Now, and when, like when I was a kid, you know, the, the, the community hospital was owned by the community. St. Mary's Hospital was owned by the church. Uh, univer- uh, university Hospital was owned by the university. Today, those are all owned by massive corporations. Okay, but what they also started doing in, uh, in the 90s, and they're still doing it, they would go into like a, a private practice where it was just you know maybe one person, but maybe a group of people who would gotten together to form a practice together. And they would go in and they'd say, you know what we'll we'll take care of all the paperwork all you have to do is be a doctor and we're going to give you all this money to do it mm-hmm. so the doctors would sell their practices and then the corporations would come and say, oh and by the way you can only see people for 20 minutes or 10 minutes. for this diagnosis you can only see them for 10 minutes and that's a lot of the problem that we're having today it's not so much the doctors it's that the doctors are owned by corporations. The corporations tell them how often and how you much all work for someone well doctors didn't used to doctors used to work for themselves. And 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 when they were working for themselves, I mean they were still busy, they made more money than they do today so it's not like. Because when I say well, it used to be illegal to, to, to have medicine be for profit, they made more money when it wasn't for profit, but anyway. But if somebody came in and, and, and you had a thing and they wanted to sit and talk to you for an hour, they could do it it was their decision it wasn't the decision of some ceo a thousand miles away uh, but anyway but, but but you can still find good you can still find a doctor who will say and i i'm a big a lot of people say oh i don't want to go to a physician's assistant cuz they're not real doctors i actually i think in many ways it can be better because they're not <laughs> they're allowed more time to be with you number one and they go and, to almost as much schooling like almost as much schooling uh and a lot of the extra schooling the doctors get is not necessarily better anyway, frankly. Um, I mean, i there's a some really good tip doctors.
0: though, Margo, is yeah. that I that's a really good point and I never really thought about it that way. There is a stigma in, there is a stigma about seeing the doctor versus the PA, the physician's assistant. But if you're looking for that more intimate care the physician's assistant does have the bandwidth and the time to really spend with you to get to know you and to hear your concerns and give you a little bit more of a personal touch i think that's a really great but
1: well, well, that doesn't mean they're all great either but what it means is that the organization is set up so that they can do these things whereas it's harder for the doctor yeah.
0: i'm also a really big um advocate for no matter what service you're looking for, whether it's medical care, a mechanic or whatever, is dating the person that you're seeing and that you're choosing for your services because not all therapists are the same. You're not going to jive with everyone. And so like you have to find someone where you're not like cringing as you're walking through the door, but like where you're ready to really like open up and have a dialogue with the, with the person that you're getting yeah. advice from. And so if you don't feel it, I am a big advocate for, well, go try another doctor. They're, not every person I, is the same. I
1: totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, I've had people, I mean, I've been doing this for 40 years and it hasn't happened often, but I've had some people say, you know what, you're, you're you know, you're great and all, but it's not working.
0: Fine. And I'm sure you felt that way about clients. Of
1: course, well, Yeah, a lot, but, but mean? I will help them find somebody. You know, yeah. if you've got a really good doctor and you say, you know, they are, I just need something else. It's like, okay, fine. In
0: different Uh, stages of life, you have different priorities, different demeanors, and 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 why not in the medical
1: field too? Judge, and I, well, I'm, I'm certainly not going to go with somebody who's just going to say, you know, you do what I say, and this is a prescription, you better. I'm not. I'm, I've, I'm I've
0: a doctor. Me personally, not everyone is this way. Me personally, I'm a very curious person. And I have lots of questions. And mm-hmm. my questions aren't because I'm challenging you. It's because my brain truly wants to understand what's going oh, on. Yes. And if you're going to do something, can you put a camera so that I can watch too? Because like, I want to learn while you're doing it. Can you talk it through like I'm a med student that you're teaching right now? And not every doctor has the patience for that. I
1: will tell you, well, not every doctor has the patience. A lot of them don't have the time because, again, they've got some boss telling them what to do. Uh, but a lot of them are like, oh, my God, I've got a real person here. I can because I can you mean, imagine I what know, it's so like They just have people come in and say, oh, doctor, tell me what to do. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, come on. Having that happen, like, you know, 20 times a day, every day? <laughs> you probably get go to school for that. <laughs> <laughs> so are so like, but i
0: have loved the dynamic we've gone a lot of places today and had a lot of really good conversation i'm curious as we're wrapping up is there anything that is on your heart or mind that you wanted to share today that we didn't talk about well i'm
1: gonna i'm, I'm gonna put in a plug for maybe we can do this again because one of the things i didn't get to talk about is um the senior housing industry which really bugs me and how that affects by the way people's health because it does affect people's health and I know because I used to I used to do home visits and I used to go see people in these places, I know how it affects their health. So I would love to talk about that. Absolutely. Um, but again, just know, you, you know, whether how however old you are, um, that um, you've got to have a doctor that's working with you. You've got to have a doctor that's respecting you. But ask them again, w- w- you know, well, like you said, you know, your question of, you know, explain this to me that would be like, well, explain to me why you're saying I have dementia. Oh, it's because of Well, well could that also be something else? So, so, so so we're really talking about the same thing here, yeah. um, which also gets to one of my other passions, which is uh, anti ageism, not anti aging, anti ageism, and having Generations work together, and obviously, you know, I think you know we have been a really great example of, and, and a role model for how to do that because because there there really hasn't been any, um, it just hasn't come in I don't think to our conversation mm-hmm. because it didn't need to, but often with with two other people of our ages it it might have dominated the whole conversation and it didn't mm-hmm. so that's great.
0: Well, thank you so much. How do people connect
1: with you, Margot? Okay. Well, first place, I would like everybody to go to YouTube my my YouTube um, channel is called age out loud. And the the and there's some wonderful stuff on there, Uh, but um. The one that I want everybody to see is the playlist I think it's it's something about dementia I think it's just because you're old doesn't mean it's dementia there are 13 videos on there that I want everybody to see I would love for people to comment, by the way, and like, and if you want to follow me that's great too. But the bill you heard it, ladies and
0: gents, if you are. Maybe you have an aging loved one and you're not sure if something is normal or what to do or how to have those conversations around maybe dementia, or maybe there's something else. Margo has a lot of experience. Feel free to email her. She is more than happy to help our audience um, answer a few questions to make sure that you are on the right path and be sure to email her the word blog to get the first a uh, blog article that she writes for your the age out loud community and with that Margo I am so grateful for our time together. I learned so much and I cannot wait to chat more with you in a future episode.
1: I'm I really look this has been this is this is the way it should be done and I'm really looking to talking to you again.
0: All right. Bye everyone see